um, and moms and grandmas, happy Mother's Day. We're so grateful to have you here. We got two gifts for you, actually, as you leave today. One, we got this little jar that we're going to put in your hand that just has a little verse on it that says, Stones of Remembrance. In Scripture, often the people of Israel would set up stones where God did things to help them remember what God was doing and some cards to get you started on how to just talk about in your home what God is doing, kind of a a little jar for your family to remember what God has done and what God is doing in your household. And then the second gift is we're going to watch your kids for free for four days um, this summer. Our kids camp is coming up June 6 through 9 and 9.30 to noon, we will take care of them for you if you will bring them. And I promise you, we'll tell them to clean the room, um, to be nice to you, to be nice to their sisters. So if you haven't registered for our kids camp yet and you got elementary school age kids, please, before you leave, go out in the atrium and sign up. We would absolutely love um, to have your kids with us for a week this summer. If you were to ask me in 25 years of ministry, what's one of the things I learned that I wasn't even aware of uh, when I started ministry? Um, one of the top three things would be how hard Mother's Day is for so many. I just was clueless. Um, I was clueless of the lifelong pain of losing a mother that you feel every Mother's Day. And I was clueless of the lifelong pain of losing a child, which a mother feels every Mother's Day. And I was uh, totally unaware of the struggle of infertility that so many have walked with and the pain of living in a a difficult or a bad relationship with your mom. And I know there are many at church every year on Mother's Day who who are here and you're in that spot. Like, it was not easy for you to get to church on Mother's Day. You came to church in spite of it being Mother's Day because because mom is a hard word for you because it's a painful place in your heart for one reason or another. So we always pray when we start our services and just ask that God would speak to our hearts. And we do want to celebrate. We want our moms and grandmas to feel love. But if you're one of the many, many people who there's a painful spot in your past around the word mom, we just we want to let you know we see you. Uh, and we're here. If we can serve you in any way, we'd absolutely love to do that. And we want to pray that uh, you would be comforted today in church, if nothing else. So would you bow your heads and pray with me here and those of you watching online? Just take that deep breath that will kind of settle your soul into this moment. And would you just ask God to speak to your heart today and to bring you comfort if today is one of those hard days for you. God, that's really our our prayer this Mother's Day is that every mom and grandma in the house would feel celebrated uh, as much as we possibly know how to do that. That they'd feel loved, that they'd feel seen, that this would be a great, great day for them. But Lord, for all of those who have a painful place in their past over, over the word mom and what that means in their story, we just pray you'd provide comfort. And even though they came in spite of knowing it could be difficult, I just pray, Lord, that uh, you'd comfort their heart by being in church and they'd be glad that they were here. That's our prayer. And God, we ask it today in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. If you have a Bible, Colossians chapter 4 is where we're going to be in our Bible study time today. You can take your notes out of your bulletin so you can follow along if you want to. Uh, If you didn't bring a Bible, no big deal. We planned on you being here, so all the scripture I read from the Bible will be on the screen, so it'll be really easy to follow along. For those of you not real familiar with church or the Bible, 2,000 years ago, there was a man in history named Paul who started churches all over the Mediterranean basin after the ministry of Jesus had culminated in the cross, in the grave, and the resurrection. And he would write letters to churches that we now have in our Bibles as part of the New Testament. He wrote 13 of them um, to seven different churches 
to two friends that he was mentoring and to a guy that he had never met. And out of the 13 letters, three of them are what I call blind letters uh, because he wrote to two churches, Rome and Colossians, that he'd never been to. He'd never set foot in them. He didn't know them. They didn't know him. And he wrote one to a guy named Philemon who he had never met, but they had a mutual friend that needed Paul to kind of give him some spiritual direction. So he wrote three letters that were totally blind. One of those was Colossians. And the only time we hear the Apostle Paul name drop, like, hey, I know somebody that's important, are in these blind letters. Romans chapter 16, you read, all of these names. Paul never names drop, except in Romans 16, he lists like nearly 30 people that he's like, hey, I know these people, you know these people, they are telling us we can trust each other. And he does the same thing in Colossians 4. If you have Colossians 4 opening, you're just kind of scrolling along. In verse 9, he mentions the name Onesimus, pretty big name in the New Testament. The whole letter to Philemon is about this guy, Onesimus. He's a slave who ran away found Paul in Rome, ended up becoming a Christian and felt like he ought to go back and offer to work for uh, his master again if that's what God wanted him to do. In verse 10, we see the name Mark, like the guy who wrote the book of Mark in our New Testament who often hung out with Jesus and his disciples. We also see the name Barnabas. He was one of the first two missionaries in the entire Christian church, Paul and Barnabas, that were sent off together. In verse 12, we see the name Epaphras. So Paul had never been to the church at Colossae, but he had been a part of a massive revival in a city called Ephesus, and Epaphras came, became a Jesus follower at Ephesus, and then went to his home in Colossae and started a church. So Paul was writing the letter to basically say, hey, I've been talking to your guy, and I want to help him a little bit. In verse 14, he mentions Luke, who wrote the book of Luke that we have in our New Testament, and Demas who's one of Paul's closest friends, who he always mentions staying with him when everyone else runs away. Demas is always there. So we get these like six names in church history that are pretty familiar to people who study the Bible. And then in verse 15, we meet somebody who's not mentioned anywhere before in Scripture. She's not mentioned anywhere after in Scripture. And probably you cannot even find her in history. But there's a line about her that I think is so appropriate on Mother's Day. Because here's what Paul says in Colossians 4.15. He says, give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea. It's a city we learn more about in the book of Revelation. And to Nympha and the church in her house. If you have a pen, I want you to underline the words of the church in her house. Now, if you're reading a King James or a New King James version, you're going to be confused because you, in your Bible, have the word Nymphus and the church in his house. Because there's been a bit of debate throughout church history on whether this is a guy or a girl, and whether it's her house or his house. But as they find more and more Greek manuscripts of the New Testament, they really believe this is a feminine word in both cases, that this is a woman who had one of the churches of the city of Colossae, Colossae that was meeting in her house. And Paul said, hey, I want you to say hey to Nympha and to the church in her house. As I read that line years ago, I thought about Mother's Day, and I thought, man, wouldn't every mother like her home described that way. Wouldn't every mom want to say, I picture my family as my church. And to me, whether it's a nympha or nymphus, her or him, it really doesn't, to me, ruin the text. It actually expands the text because it also tells me that a dad should look at his home and say, man, wouldn't it be great if my home and my family were known as my church? Really the goal of today, if there was like a billboard for this message and then we said amen, um, the billboard message would be this. Hey, mom, see your family as your church and call them to follow Jesus. 
period, the end. That is the Cliff Notes version of this message. See your family as the church you've been put in responsibility of and help them follow Jesus. If you are a mom who does that, you will not be the first mother, the first woman to have a church in her home. The word church is a fascinating word in the Greek language. It literally is the word for kind of a city council meeting. It's the Greek word ekklesia. And it literally is a group of people who've been assembled from a city to get together to talk about the purpose, the mission, and the direction of their town. In ecclesia, not in the Bible, but in ecclesia in literature was when they went door to door in a town and said, hey, we have to have a town hall meeting. We have to take a vote on something. It was when any group of people got together for the specific purpose of doing specific business. And when Jesus in Matthew 16, 18 said, my followers are going to have a mission, he called them an ecclesia. He said, my followers are going to be a group of people who get together to do my business. The word ecclesia is translated as church 110 times in the New Testament. The first time by Jesus in Matthew 16, 18. The last time by Jesus in Revelation 22, 16, when he said, I wrote this book, make sure all of the churches read it because I'm coming back. Five verses before the Bible closes, Jesus says, make sure the churches know that I'm coming back. So this concept of church, we know well from the New Testament. And the concept of spiritual responsibility, specifically coming from mothers, we know biblically throughout Scripture. On this Mother's Day, my goal is to look at the lives of two mothers who really took spiritual responsibilities for their boys. I call them the mama's boys of Mother's Day, and they're like, they're pretty big boys in Scripture. One is the prophet Samuel, one is a man named Jesus, who even if you've never been in church, you've heard about him. Their purposes in life were maybe the two most important purposes in the Old Testament and New Testament, and their moms were the people who spiritually set them on their path. Samuel was a prophet in Israel who was responsible to find someone who had a heart for God and make sure that he could become king of Israel so the people of Israel would know what it looked like to have a heart for God. Jesus was the guy who was responsible to come and show the world the heart of God because he would be a spiritual leader who would rule with the heart of God. So one of these guys' sole purpose in life was to teach the world what it looked like to have a heart for God. The other guy's sole purpose in life was to teach the world what it looked like to have the heart of God. And Samuel and Jesus did their jobs well, but we read their backstory and we see how important their mothers were. So today we're going to talk about Hannah, who's Samuel's mom, and we're going to talk about Mary, who's Jesus' mom, and we're going to see their initial spiritual reaction to finding out you are going to be spiritually responsible for one of the most spiritually important people in the history of the world. They both have what is called in Scripture a song. Hannah's song and Mary's song. They're both 10 verses. One's found deep in the Old Testament. One is found at the very beginning of the New Testament. If you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're going to read the 10 verses in Hannah's song. And then if you want to begin flipping to Luke chapter 1, we're going to read the 10 verses in Mary's song. For those of you who have strings in your Bible, you take one of those strings and put it in 1 Samuel chapter 2 because we're going to flip back and forth there from the rest of the message. You're going to take that other string and you're going to throw it in Luke chapter 1 so that it's real easy to just go back and forth all day today between 1 Samuel 2 and Luke chapter 1 because these are the scriptures that we're going to study learning how to have spiritual influence. And listen, this message is not just for moms and grandmas. It's not just for dads and grandpas. This message is for coaches that want to have spiritual influence on their athletes. This message is for teachers that want to have spiritual influence on their students. 
This message is for business owners who want to have spiritual influence on their employees. This message is for managers who want to have spiritual influence on the people they're managing. This message is for the room mom who wants to have spiritual influence on the other room mom. Like if you are a follower of Jesus who wants to figure out how to call other people to see and follow Jesus, then this message is for for you and the concepts we learn from Hannah and Mary are going to teach us how to do that. What are their songs? Hannah was someone who couldn't get pregnant. She was struggling with issues of infertility. One year, she was up at the temple worshiping God, and she prayed, God, if you will give me a baby, I promise he'll serve you all the days of his life, and God answered that prayer. When she found out she was pregnant, here is the song she sang, 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 through 10. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There's no one holy like the Lord. There's no one besides you. There's no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak with such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of warriors are broken, but those who stumble are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren, she's now sharing her story, is going to bear seven children. But she who's had many sons is going to pine away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. He sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sits them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He'll guard the feet of his faithful servants. But the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It's not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He'll give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. About 1,100 years later, probably 1,075, 1,077 to be exact, a young girl in Israel named Mary would find out she was pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit to give birth to the Messiah. And she also would sing a song similar to Hannah's. And here's what we read in Luke chapter 1. Verses 46 through 55 about Mary's song. And then we'll put the two together and we'll see three pretty simple ways to call people in our life to understand who Jesus is. Mary said in verse 46, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arms. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Hannah and Mary would have two of the most spiritually influential sons in the history of the world. But they would need spiritually influential mothers to call them to the mission that God had for them. And if you're here today and you're a mom with a family, I believe you have a church in your home that you should be leading. And if you're a dad with a family, I believe you have a church in your home that you should be leading. And if you're a business owner, I would see my business as a church that I'm leading. And if I was a coach, I'd see my team as a church that I was leading. And I'd try to figure out how do I call them out for the purpose and the direction and the mission of Jesus so they can see who he is. I think Hannah and Mary give us three ways today. We're going to move through them pretty, pretty quickly, but I think it's a real simple, simple formula for how to have spiritual influence. Calling number one, just tell people who God is to you. You say, how do I begin to have spiritual influence on the people in my life? 
Just start by telling him how God has had spiritual influence on you. Hannah would say in 1 Samuel 1, Here's who God is to me. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. Horn there is a Hebrew word that really means strength. Hannah is saying, here's what you need to know about my God. The things in life that make me strong come from him. The only parts of my life that are strong are parts that the Lord is in control of. The Lord is the one who makes me strong. Look at what Mary says in verse 46, 47, and 48. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the state of his humble servant. Hannah says, God is the one who makes me strong. Mary says, God is the only one who can do a work in my soul. Who is God to you, mom, dad, coach, boss? Who is God to you? Last week we had our parent dedication child service, our parent child dedication service here at two o'clock. We had 20 kids and their parents that we dedicated at two o'clock. At the end of this service, about half of those will be on stage and as a congregation, we'll pray over them. And as a congregation, we'll dedicate them together. But they were here with their moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and friends and family doing kind of an intimate little dedication service. And our infant preschool director, Christy Cowan, was up here starting that service and telling parents how influential their faith was. And she said when her daughter was three, who's now, I think, going into high school, she said, we went to the grocery store one day, and we came back from the grocery store, and as I was putting away the groceries, I realized the house was really quiet. Normally, when you have young kids, quiet's bad, loud is good. So she said, I went looking for my daughter, and I looked in kind of the living room, and she wasn't there, and I looked in the playroom, and she wasn't there, and I looked in her room, and she wasn't there, and she said, I walked into my bedroom, and across the bed, I see like the top two inches of her hair. And I can tell she's sitting down on my side of the bed. And all I can see is the top of her head. And she said, I round the corner and she has my Bible open on her lap, my highlighter in one hand, my pen in the other. And she is just like writing all over my Bible. And she said, my first instinct was to say, no, pain, stop. But she said, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, Christy, stop and look. She's doing what she sees you do. You get your Bible out by your bed, you get your pen, you get your highlighter, and you're spending time with Jesus. She is just seeing what you do spiritually. If people only ever do spiritually what they see you do spiritually, will they ever read their Bible? Will they ever pray? Will they ever go on a missions trip? Will they ever serve in church on Sunday morning? Will they ever talk to somebody who's hurting about Jesus? Will they ever forgive someone who hurts them? If people only see who God is to you spiritually, will they see enough? See, the first calling of kind of leaning in spiritually is really, really simple. Just tell people who God is to you. That's what Hannah and Mary did. They told people how God made them strong in their soul. Hannah says, God is the one who makes me strong. Any strength I have comes from him. Mary says, the only one who can minister to my soul is God. Just tell them who God is to you because you have no idea the power of your story. Who God is to you will go 10 times further than what people will read in the Bible without your story, especially when they're young. I love every Sunday when we get to do baptisms, not because of the water, not because of the ceremony, but because of the promise. Because in Revelation 12, 11, Jesus is talking to the churches about how evil will one day be defeated 
And he said, here's how the church will triumph over evil. The blood of the lamb, which means the forgiveness of Jesus and the testimony of the saints. When people share their story, evil runs away and the hope and the strength of God come. So you say, I want to have spiritual influence. Talk about your faith. Live your faith. Believe that one day your kids will only do what they've ever seen you do. They'll only know what they've heard you talk about and make sure to call out who God is to you. The second one's pretty easy. Make sure you talk to people about who God is in the world. So the first calling that we have, if we want to have spiritual influence as parents, as coaches, as teachers, got to tell people who God is to us. But the second call is we've got to tell people who God is in the world. So look at what Hannah does. Hannah talks about the character of God in 1 Samuel chapter 2. She's like, the world needs to know this about my God. She says in verse 2, there's no one holy like the Lord. There's no one besides you. There's no rock like our God. If you have your Bible open, you might circle those words in yellow behind me because they all mean something. There's no one holy. That word, that word means set apart. There's no, one, there's no one like our God is. There's no one beside. That means separate. God is separate from anything else that can ever give us strength or security. God is our rock. It means stable. God is set apart. God is separate. God gives us stability. Hannah is saying, if you want to have stability in your life, you have to have God. If you don't have God, even the most stable things will eventually become shaky. That's Hannah's promise. That's Hannah's story. 11 years ago when Danielle and I were moving over to Lee Summit to begin to try to figure out where God wanted us to have this church, we would spend our Fridays kind of driving all over Lee Summit. And as you used to drive east on Chipman Road, there was a big building that used to be known as the Center for God, Family, and Country. Um, I am for all of those things. Those all mean a lot of things to me, but those are not all the same thing. And every time I see the words God and, my theological antenna goes up a little bit because I think, okay, whatever is on the other side of that and is not God And if you think those two work together, you will be unstable eventually. But that's a lot of our testimony. If God and family is good, we're good, stable. If God and country is good, stable. If God and economy is good, stable. If God and Patrick Mahomes are solid, we're like, we're solid. That's the only one that might be a little biblical. The rest of them, it's like, there's a lot of instability there. If, if, if God and anything is what you need to be stable, you're going to be unstable. So Hannah says it's like God and nobody. So last Sunday between our service and our parent-child dedication, I got to spend time with one of our young dads who's been through a pretty difficult four months in 2022. He got really, really sick and almost died in his kind of mid-30s. Then he was in a car accident, and his, just his psyche was shaken a little bit. He was okay, but his psyche was shaken. And as we talked, he said, I'm just trying to figure out what God is doing. I'm trying to figure out why this is happening. And he said, you know, I'm the one who normally takes care of my family. I protect my family. And he said, I feel like, like my family looks at me now, and I've got a chink in my armor. I feel like they're looking, thinking, what if dad's not around? And he said, why is this happening? And I said, I can't. I, I have... That, that question does not have an answer on this side of heaven. Don't know that I can say why. But I can tell you what can happen because of it. You can help your family lean more into Jesus. Because the only armor you have as a dad is the spiritual armor. 
and all the pieces of spiritual armor just characteristics of Jesus. And maybe you need to lay the pressure down of thinking, God and me take care of my family. And maybe you need to start telling your wife, there's going to be a day when I'm not here, but Jesus will be. And it's going to be hard, but it'll be okay. And maybe you need to tell their kids, listen, there could be, clearly this shows us there could be a day where one day I might not be here, but Jesus will be. It's okay. Like maybe you need to shift your family security from you taking care of them to Jesus taking care of them. No God and no rock like him. Nobody besides him. He's totally holy. That's the character of our God that we can trust in. Mary talked about the deeds of God. So Hannah said, I want to talk about the character of God. Mary said, I want to talk about the deeds of God. And here's what she said about her God in Luke 151. She said, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. And he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Mary said, when I look around, God is doing mighty things. Now, you need to know this and some of you need to write this down. Because some things in the world, the way we see them is not really what God is doing them. Like, what's happening around us sometimes is not the most important thing. What God is doing through those things is sometimes the most important thing. Because look at Mary's scenario. Mary's like, God is doing mighty things. And we would look in from the outside and say, for who, Mary? Mary is not only a young Jewish girl, she's a young, poor Jewish girl. She's a young, poor Jewish girl living in Palestine at the time when the Romans occupied it. And now she is not married and she's pregnant. And her husband could, by law, have her arrested. If we were to line up the things she had going on in her life that appeared to be good, the list would be about zero. But not everything that we see happening with our eyes is really what God is up to behind the scenes. Because Mary's like, this whole thing right now looks like a mess. But what God must be doing behind the scenes, in me and for me and through me, what I am going through is not easy. But who I'm serving is good. And I just have to trust that his mighty deeds are still working in my favor. So Mary said, I look at who God is and I see that he's always working in our favor. Even when it seems like everything is going wrong, I can trust that God will somehow make it right. So when we look at sharing our stories, when we look at telling the world who God is, really when we talk about who God is, when we talk about what God is doing, those kind of become the home videos of spiritual development. They become the home videos of spiritual movement. Like, remember back in the day when we used to record things with camcorders on our shoulders and we'd put away the tape and then when we gather at, like, holidays, we'd put in and we'd watch old home movies. There are no old home movies because now they're all on the phone. I've been to graduation parties the last two or three weeks and I've been looking of all these pictures and billboards put together. We know dads are not putting those things together. So moms, thank you for keeping memories and home videos and pictures that remind us that we had a life before today, like when we talk about who God is, when we talk about what God is doing, we literally are building the board of memories that says you can trust God. You can trust his character. You can trust his deeds. You can trust who he is. You can trust what he's doing. Feels real uncertain right now. But this whole board of pictures feels real uncertain right now. But let me show you a home movie of when. Feels real uncertain right now. But let me tell you the last time God did in those memories become the thing that reminds us who God is and what God is doing in the world. So you say, I want to have spiritual influence. It's not as hard as you think. Just talk to people about who God is to you. 
Just talk to people about what God is doing in the world. And then third, pretty easy, talk to people about who God can be to them. That's our third calling. We have to remind people that God is a God that they would be interested in if they really knew what the Bible said about him. Hannah and Mary's song overlap in three what I call just really attractive and beautiful qualities about who God is and what God is doing that I think all of us not only need to be reminded of, but we need to tell people about. Letter A would be mercy. Tell people who God can be to them. He can be merciful. Merciful is one of the Bible's favorite attributes used to describe God. It can be defined as loyal love or compassionate pity. But let me, under, let me explain what I mean by that. Loyal love or compassionate pity. The word pity does not mean that God feels sorry for you. The word hesed, which is the Greek word H-E-S-E-D, means compassionate pity. What's the, the, compass, the word compassion means to feel in your guts what someone else feels. So the word mercy means God doesn't feel sorry for you. The word mercy means God feels sorrow with you because he sees what you're going through. He sees that you're hurting. He sees that you didn't sleep last night. He sees that you've had a really hard month. He sees that you've had a really hard year. The word compassionate pity doesn't mean God looks at you and says, oh, I feel sorry for them. It means God looks at you and he enters your story and he says, I feel sorrow with you. And I'm willing to come right into your story and be with you if you need me to. Look how Mary describes his mercy in verse 50. She said, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. It didn't stop with Mary. It didn't stop with Mary's kids. It didn't stop with Mary's grandkids. It didn't stop with our grandparents. It didn't stop with our grandparents. It didn't stop with us. It doesn't stop with our kids or our grandkids. We have to teach the world who our God is, and our God is a God of mercy. What does a God of mercy mean? Here's what loyal love means. It means when God looks at you, he gives to you what you need spiritually rather than what you deserve spiritually. And are we not glad that we serve a God who sees us like that? God looks at some of you, and you say, the last 20 years I've been so far from God, but the last 20 minutes I feel like I need to step back in. And God says, let me look at your life based on the last 20 minutes, not the last 20 years. Let me come into your story based on what you need and not what you deserve. That's what mercy means. And if you're here today and you said, I need God, but I don't think God would want me, mercy means that he not only sees what you're going through, he feels sorrow with you, not sorry for you, and he's willing to enter your story and give you what you need, not what you deserve, if you'll open your heart and receive him generation after generation after generation. That is the mercy of our God. We also see letter B, the mission of God, which I think is a beautiful, beautiful mission. We learn that basically Jesus comes to help people who are humble, who are hungry, who are hurting, the mission of God has always been about helping people who need help. And if you never heard anything about Jesus or Christianity, here's what you need to hear about the heart of God. Here's what you need to hear about Jesus. Here's what you need to hear about Christianity. Jesus has always been about helping people who are humble, who are hurting, and who are hungry. Look at verses 52, 53, and 54. I'm going to kind of skim through them if you're reading out of your Bible. On the screen, they'll be put together. Mary said, He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. Verse 54, he has helped his servant, Israel. You know, Israel's an interesting word. When we think of Israel, we think of a country. Maybe if you're biblically astute a little bit, you might think of a person who had 12 sons. But before that, Israel was just a nickname. 
the man's name was Jacob. God nicknamed him Israel. And here's what Israel translates as. Somebody who wrestles with God and man. Here's who should have the nickname Israel. Somebody who their whole life has struggled spiritually. And they stink at relationships. You're like, that's me. Or that's my son. Or that's my daughter. Or that's my husband. Like, like my whole life I've struggled spiritually. And I stink at relationships. That's what the name Israel translates as. God found this man, Jacob, who struggled spiritually his whole life, and he literally took advantage of or was taken advantage of by every person that he ever met. It's just the way he lived his life. And God said, I'm going to call you basically what you are. You're a guy who's made life really, really hard on himself. But I will take you, and I will love you, and I will help you. It's my mission. My mission is to help the Israels of the world who their whole life have struggled spiritually, who their whole life have made a wreck of things relationally. God says, I want to step in and I want to help you. My 20-year-old son got home from college Tuesday night. We were praying him home, nearly a 16-hour drive from Lynchburg, Virginia, back home. And I love who God is making him to be in his heart as he gets ready to turn 21 in July. And every year on his birthday, since like the age of five, I always tell my son, Christian, I've only got three desires for your life. There's only three things I ask of you. For the rest of your life, love God, love your family, and help people who are hurting. If you do those three things, I don't care what you do. Like, you literally, if you will love God, love your family, and take care of people who are hurting, I will be in your corner and help you however I can. That is who God has created you to be. And I watch him come back from school now at 20, and almost every conversation we have now in person or over text messages about God or family or future family or how to help hurting people. That is the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus is to find those who are hurting, find those who are hungry, find those who are in a humble state of need and to step in and help them. It's why Jesus started his entire ministry with Matthew chapter 5, 3, where he said, here's who I'm looking for. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does poor in spirit mean? Blessed are people who know they can't do it alone. Blessed are people who know their spirit needs God because those are the people who are going to see God big time. Blessed are the pure, or blessed are the poor in spirit. God said those are going to be the people that I take care of. So it's so important as we tell people who God can be for them to remind our kids and to remind the entire world, listen, all of us were born with spirits that are absolutely broken. But God sent us a Savior who can make us whole. The reason we struggle, the reason the world struggles, the reason things are the way they are is because everyone is born with a broken spirit. But God sent a Savior who could make things whole, and the Bible refers to him as the Messiah. That would be letter C. You say, what do I tell the world God can be for them? Tell them about his mercy. Tell them about his mission. But man, tell them about the Messiah. The Messiah was not just the anointed king of Israel, although he was that. The Messiah is also the anointed king of your heart, if you will allow him to be. And this is where Hannah closes us with what I think is a fascinating verse. In 1 Samuel 2.10, Hannah closes her prayer with words that do not make sense in her context 3,000 years ago. And here's what she says in verse 10 of 1 Samuel chapter 2. She says, The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. You say, why is that a weird verse 3,000 years ago? Because there was no king in Israel. And there was never meant to be a king in Israel. 
Her son would become a judge in Israel after a long time of judges in Israel. It would be nearly a century before they had a good king in Israel. So for her to pray that God would bless a king that didn't even exist means that she couldn't have been praying for the king of the nation of Israel. She had to be praying for something more. And she kind of tips us off to this when she calls him his anointed. One of the words for anointed in scripture that's used in the Greek language is the word creo. And it literally means one who has an assignment. You say, if Hannah's not praying that there'll be a king in Israel, what is she praying? Here's what she's praying. She's asking God to give somebody the assignment of becoming the king of her life. She's asking God to give someone the responsibility of ruling her heart. She's asking God to give somebody the assignment of taking care of her spiritually. She knows it won't be her son, but she's praying her son will be a part of that big process that eventually resulted in Jesus. And if you don't know it, that is the assignment of Jesus. To come be the king of your heart. To come help you live your life. To be merciful. To always treat you the way you need to be treated, not the way you deserve to be treated. To not feel sorry for you, but to feel sorrow with you. To make sure that you're never alone. Like that is the, that is the assignment of Jesus. And moms specifically, but dads and coach and teachers and people who want to have spiritual influence. Jesus' assignment is to come be the king of our heart, to do for us what no one else can do. Our assignment is to help other people know that. Our church fathers kind of help us see this in Mary's story because for years they called Mary's song in Luke chapter 1 the Magnificat. Because in one of the older English versions, Luke 146 says, My soul magnifies the Lord. And literally the word magnify there is, is very much like a magnifying glass. Here's what Mary is praying. God, when people see my life, let my life blow Jesus up bigger and clearer than if they were looking on their own. Mary said, God, let my soul, when people look at me, not be a window that they see Jesus through. Let my soul be a magnifying glass that when they look at my life, it just brings Jesus into focus and it makes him great big in their life. You say, man, I want to have spiritual influence. Moms, we need you to have spiritual influence. We need you to see your home like a church. Dads, we need you to see your family like a church. Business owners, we need you to see your business like a church. Coaches, we need you to see your team like a coach. Teachers, or a church. Teachers, we need you to see your room like a church. And we need to be people who are all about calling people to see the purpose and direction and mission of Jesus. And asking like Mary, God, when people see my life, let it bring Jesus into crystal clear focus and make him really, really big. That's my prayer for our church. It's my prayer for this Sunday. If you've never met Jesus personally, my prayer is that what we talked about today made Jesus look crystal clear, made him look really big, and hopefully made him look like somebody you want to live in relationship with. If you've never started a relationship with Jesus, you can do that today. If you're a Christian who's been away for 20 years, but the last 20 minutes you're thinking, would he take me back? Always. Because he always treats you like you need to be treated, not like you deserve to be treated. That's our God. And as we bow in prayer to him, let's ask him to be a big part of our life this week. Would you bow your heads with me? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room, but hearts are open. 
If you're here today and you don't know Jesus personally as your Savior, which means you've not asked Him to forgive you of your sins, you've not asked Him to send His Holy Spirit to guide and guard your life, you've not asked Him to give you eternal life when you die, you can do that today. Because He's merciful, you can do that. Because it's His mission to help hurting people, you can do that. Because Jesus is the Messiah with the assignment of ruling our hearts, you can do that. Say, Christian, how do I do that? Just open your heart to heaven and pray. You don't have to pray out loud, but from your heart to heaven, just in the quietness of your heart, you might pray something like this. You might just say, Jesus, I need you. You just repeat it after me. From your heart to heaven, Jesus, I need you. I need you to be the king of my heart. So today by faith, which means I don't understand it all, but I feel like God is telling me to trust it. By faith, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sin, to cleanse me from my past, to heal me of my hurts, and to lead me in my future so I might live on mission with the Messiah. Jesus, today I want to follow you. Thank you for loving me, for forgiving me, for being willing to lead me. Help me to find life as I follow you. Heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. If you just prayed that prayer with me in just a second, we'll let you know what your next steps could be as you begin to walk with and follow Jesus. But if you're a Christian today, two questions for you, Christian. Have you been struggling to stay close to God because you don't think you deserve it? Thank God that he treats you as you need, not as you deserve. Are you a Christian who has someone in your life who you want to see God clearly? Pray that God would make you a magnifying glass for their heart. Thank you, Lord, for the mercy of Jesus, the mission of Jesus. And thank you that Jesus is the Messiah with the assignment to become the king of our life. As we follow him, let us experience life to its fullest and let us show the world Jesus at his clearest. That's our prayer. And God, we ask it today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.